All right, we're on. Good morning, all you beautiful people out there. So happy to be here today. What an exciting week this is. Um, for many of you, it may have been a busy week getting prepared for Christmas this upcoming week. But um, I pray that this week you will have time to rest and um, just be with family and have peace in your life. Amen? Hallelujah. So, um, this is Les Terrell speaking to you today from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And we're going to be talking about a variety of things on the handout that I gave you. If you look it up, Proverbs 32.1, you'll have a hard time finding that one. But it says that variety is the spice of life. And so I thought we'd talk about a variety of things this morning. Amen? All right. So um, I'm going to begin with the word of prayer. Um, we have many people that are out traveling today, uh, Dennis and Tammy for one. And I know Dennis usually does such a great job at opening, but I'm going to give it my best. Father, we love you so much, and we're so thankful for your presence amongst us, Lord, and for Lord, just the opportunity to live in this land of freedom, to be able to celebrate Jesus, and to be able to gather together, Lord, in a public place even, and share the gospel, and to share your word, and to discuss it amongst ourselves. Father, we pray that you would um, bless everybody in this place today, and those that are not able to be here today. Lord, just keep them in your care, and, and under your covering, and uh, just bless them, and Bring them back to this house safe and sound. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 7. And just so you know, uh, like I said, this is going to be a variety, kind of a smorgasbord I'm going to share with you just some of the, really just from my, my weekly study, some of the things the Lord has highlighted for me. I'm going to share a, um, an experience I had this week and also give a bit of a testimony um, as well. So let's begin. 2 Kings 18, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned for twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the son of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to to all that David his father did. And I want to stop right there because <clears throat> if you, and I know you have, we've, we've just about everybody in here has read through the Bible at least once, but <clears throat> in, the, in Kings, um, you know, you, you go through this litany of kings and it says they reigned so many years and they did that which was not right in the sight of the Lord or they did evil in the sight of the Lord or they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord but they didn't tear down the high places you know so you had this mixed bag of, of just um, kings 
and, and, and rulers that were just blatantly evil. You had a handful, not very many, but a handful that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And then you had this group in the middle that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but they didn't do it all. You know, they didn't tear down the high places. They didn't burn the groves. And so it's, it's rare, actually, that we see a, a king, a leader, that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and, and completely. Okay, So um, that's what we see here in Hezekiah. So beginning in, I'm sorry, continuing in verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan simply means a thing of brass. Okay, so Hezekiah, um, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but he followed through and did all the other things too. Okay, and what I, I want to talk to you about real quickly here is we remember when we talk about this um, um, brazen serpent, we remember the story uh, earlier in when the... When the um, Israelites were wandering in the desert. You know, um, there were serpents, fiery serpents on the land. If they, if you got bit by them, um, you would die. And the Israelites were, were frightened of this and complaining as they were wont to do. And so the Lord told um, Abraham, I'm sorry, Moses, that the way around this is you make a serpent out of bronze you put it on a pole you hold it up and then when any of the Israelites that have been bitten by a serpent look upon it they won't die okay you all remember that story so what the Lord highlighted to me in this passage well let's let's finish reading and then we'll come back in verse 5 it says he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Um, what the Lord highlighted to me in, is, is the pa- in this passage is, it says, unto those, unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense unto this brazen serpent. So this is years after the Israelites have gone through the wilderness. This thing's still, I guess, up there. And the, the children of Israel have basically made it an idol. Okay? <clears throat> and, you know, the Lord said, hey, are there things that have been done in your past or in our past, you know, that I've done for my purpose that you are holding on to that you really should let go of and move forward in the new thing that I have for you? Okay? And I think there's a lot of that. And the reason, you know, why I think that happens is, like, the Israelites, you know, they saw the miracle of 
the brazen serpent and what it did for all those who had been bit by poisonous snakes. And they were clinging to that. But what had happened is they turned something that was used for God's intended purpose at the time, a righteous purpose, to save the children of Israel that had been bitten by venomous snakes. They, they, they clung to that and they turned it into an idol. And I just want to bring that up because there may be some of us um, that are doing that. And the Lord would tell us, don't do that. Okay, I am doing a new thing. Yes, that was a good thing I did back then. Yes, it served its purpose. But you need to let that go. And don't have it be an idol for you. <laughs> and, then, and then I have this, I mean, with the Lord, we just, we commune together just like conversation. And he said, he said, look, you know, would you go into your refrigerator and pull out an expired carton of milk? Monica's probably going to say, yeah, you would, Les. And pour a glass and drink spoiled milk. Because at one time, it was there for its intended purpose to bring nourishment when it was healthy and, and, and full of vitality and there to bring nourishment. Okay, It's past its date. You're not going to go serve your kids. Okay, It's the same thing. It's the same concept here. The Lord does a thing for the intended purpose at the intended time, and then he moves on and does new things. And we need to not hold on or make idols of those things he's done in the past, even if they were good. Amen? Because I think about the milk. For me, milk expires two days before the expiration date. <laughs> for less, it expires a week after. And so... Um, I mean, it, it's such a timing thing, really, with the Lord. It can be very precise. That's a good. That's good, Monica. Timing is so critical in the in the economy of the Lord, the way that He works. Right? It's every day is a new day. I will do a new thing, and we need to remember that. And not. I mean, it's just like the manna, right? The kids in the in the wilderness. You know, they they got the manna. They tasted of it. They liked it. And so, even though the leadership said, "Hey, don't hold on to it," what were they doing? They were holding on to it. Ah, this is so good. I'm going to have some for breakfast when I wake up in the morning. And it was covered in worms and spoiled. Right? The Lord does a thing for the day, and he does a different thing oftentimes the next day. Every day is a new day with the Lord. Amen. Well, even if it's the same thing, the mercy is new. So the communion, may, you still may be communing, mm -hmm. but it's still a new communion. It's That's a new good. mercy every morning. Wonderful. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out in this passage is it says that um, that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, and 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 because of that, there were no kings like him in all the kings of Judah after him. And then it says he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him but kept his commandments. And I looked up this word clave and it literally means to I mean as you as you would imagine like to cling to. It also says to impinge uh, upon and it and it also talks about running after. Okay? So you know, those are, those are strong words. You know, when you cling to something, I, I think of somebody, you know, clinging to something for dear life. You know, I mean, 
where the cat, you know, you, we've all seen that silly little commercial about the cat holding on, you know, with his claws just barely hanging on. I mean, clinging, you're, you're holding on for dear life or you're pursuing hard after. And that's what Hezekiah did. That was the relationship that he had with the Lord. And that's, you know, that is what brought him, I believe. It says he prospered whithersoever he went forth. He prospered. Does anybody in here want to prosper? We all want to prosper. We want to prosper in whatever it is that the Lord wants for us, right? Whether it's in preaching or teaching or in, in, in finances so you can help others. Whatever it is, the Lord wants to prosper us. But the way to prosperity is to cling and to cleave unto the Lord, to, to not depart from following him and to do what he tells us to do, okay? Which really is, I mean, you think about clinging, it's the antithesis of letting go. It's very, very So the true. only thing that we are to cling to is his plan, is, mm-hmm. he, is Yahweh. And, of course, the Lord. Sure. It says here, I'm assuming that for he clave to the Lord is Yahweh. It is Yahweh, yes. Yeah. So um, there you have it. The next passage I want to look at is 2 Corinthians 9.10, and this is an interesting um version of this passage. It's not from the original King James. It's from the New Revised Standard Version. And the reason why I want to share this with you is um, I oftentimes in the morning will read through um, and you may have heard about this pastor. It's uh, it's called the Daily Texts and it's been around since the 1700s and it's from the Moravian Church. And it's just basically a few passages and it gives you some like a couple of hymns you know lines from hymns that that correspond but it's it's pretty it's pretty good in my opinion and so i read this passage and i just want to share with you this story we'll read this passage together it says he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness when i read that I immediately heard the Lord say, this is for you. And I immediately, when I immediately heard that, I claimed it. I read it and I said, this is for me, I claim this. And you know, there's something about vocalizing. You know, we, 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 talk, we, we learn about how we learn. You know, you can read, you can read and you can hear, you can read, you can hear and you can see. And you know, if you, if you read, you hear and you see your retention. It, it goes deeper into your, your being, right, versus just reading it. I mean, how many times have you read a page when you're going to bed at night of some book and you get to the end and you're like, what did I just read, right? And you have to go back and read it again, or two or three times. Reading, hearing, seeing, or speaking, verbalizing, uh, it, it, and it releases those words into the atmosphere. And that's important, right? Like we're always talking about be careful what you speak because words have power. Words have, have efficacy in the spirit realm. So I spoke that forward and I claimed it. And um, that's important for us to do. Now this, this was on Monday of this week. And that's why I'm sharing this because it happened this week. So I finished up my study and... I went in and got on my trainer to ride my bike on the trainer for an hour. And I was, uh, I was doing this workout, and I was thinking about this word that the Lord gave. And I was thinking about the, the, the words, 
seed for the sower and bread for food. And then it says, I will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Okay, now think about this. Seed to the sower, right? If, if we're sowing seed, that seed is going to bring forth bread. We're going to be able to partake of that bread, eat of it, nourish ourselves and our family, and probably have some left over maybe to give to others. Okay? It says, I will multiply, I will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Okay, so if you're a farmer and you've got to buy your seed and you go in and you buy your sack of seed to go out and sow, what if you go into the feed store and they give you the sack of seed you bought and then they give you a free sack of seed, right? The Lord is multiplying the seed, okay? You've got what he intends for us to have to use for our own purpose, for our own family, but he's going to multiply, that's what it says, and multiply your seed for sowing. So he's going to multiply your seed so that you can be a giver, so that you can sow more seed. Because it says also, increase the harvest of your righteousness. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. What is a harvest? It's we go out after the seed is grown into the plant, we cut the heads of the wheat off or whatever, and we bring it in. That's bringing in the harvest, right? Well, what does it say? It says, I'm going to increase the harvest of what? Your seed? No, of your righteousness. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I think it's, I struggle with this because I think if I say, you know, I'm a righteous man, that's boastful. You know, we don't want to be boastful or prideful, but we also do want to live to be righteous, right, in the eyes of the Lord, and we want to conduct ourselves righteously. And to me, what the Lord was saying in this, and, and maybe it was just to me or maybe it's to me and to all of us, is he's the one that supplies the seed for the sower. And he is going to supply that seed for us, and he's going to cause it to bring forth bread for our supply. But beyond that, he's going to supply and multiply that seed for our sowing. Okay? It's not that we're just going to have enough to bring in and meet the needs of our household. It's that he's going to multiply that seed so that we can then sow more out. We're going to bring the seed in. We're going to use it for its purpose. We're going to have more seed than we need, and we're going to be able to give to others. That's, that's what I was processing while I was on my trainer. You know, when you sit on a bicycle and you, and you ride like that, I, mean, you ha I, I really, <laughs> it's a wonderful time for me to process and think and ponder and, and, and commune uh, with the Lord. Now, you're going to laugh at this next part because um, it's pretty carnal. But um, I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about this investment strategy that I had recommended to a client. Actually, he asked me to check it out, and I did, and it was, it was pretty compelling. And so we made this investment. And this was about a, it was a little over a year ago. It's probably been a year and two or three months ago. We made this investment. <coughs> And um, it's, it's an investment where you invest the money, and if the market, so the, when you invest the money, it's invested in an index, a stock market index. If the market drops uh, at the end of the year, the, it's, it's an insurance investment. The insurance company will actually put money back into that account and bring it back up. So let's say you put money in, and the market drops 10%, so let's say you put $100,000 in, it's down $10,000 at the end of the year. The insurance company actually puts $10,000 in there and you can take your money and leave, 
okay? That's called downside protection, okay? In this investment, you get to pick the amount of downside protection that you want. You can have 10% downside protection or you can have 20% downside protection. Now, we all know that nothing, there are no free lunches. You have to, it's a give and take, right? If you're gonna take that downside protection, you gotta give somewhere. Giving somewhere is there's also a cap on the upside. So if you put your money in and the market's up 20%, you may be capped at 15, which means you only get 15% of the upside of the market. If it goes beyond that, you don't get it. The insurance company keeps it, okay? But for many people in, in my business, they're worried about the level of the stock market. Okay, they're worried about what happens if it drops and I lose money, especially if I'm going into retirement. Well, that's a big and valid concern. And so this investment, um, it, it was, I mean, it was pretty great, but there was one issue that I, I had with it, and that was if you put money in and at the end of the year you're, you have a 10% gain, when you take that money out, if you take the money out, you don't have to, but if you did, it's taxed. In the investment world, if you have money invested for a year or longer, the maximum tax you pay is 20%. If you have an investment and you take money out and it's shorter than a year and you have a gain, let's say nine months, and you take that out, that gain is not taxed at maximum of 20%. It's taxed at your top marginal income tax rate. So if my clients are in the 40% income tax bracket and they have a long-term gain, they only pay 20% of tax, not 40. That's a big difference, okay? I don't mean to get off in the weeds. <clears throat> but what the Lord told me, he said, Les, what if you recommended that strategy to clients in their retirement accounts? Because in a retirement account, you don't pay any taxes on the gain. It solves that whole problem. And so I'm processing <laughs> all this with the Lord while I'm on the bike doing this, this trainer ride. And, you know, he said, look, that investment's great for the client. He said, but you get paid on that investment, and you get paid, you know, a recurring fee on that investment as long as it stays in there. And that's extra seed for the sower. So I found that um, pretty amazing. And what I was going to tell you about my, the carnality part of this is I was listening. Does anybody know who Natalie Merchant is? Natalie Merchant, is a, she's a um, singer, not a Christian singer. Well, she may be a Christian, but she's just, she has some albums that, that, are, that I like and I like to listen to when I train, one of many. But I was listening to this, and while I was listening, the Lord said, what's her last name? It's Merchant. He said, there's no coincidence here, because if you look at that name, Merchant, what does a merchant do? They're a person that's involved in conducting business and in dealing with merchandise in a particular trade. And that's what I'm talking to you about, right? Seed for the sower is going to come as a result of your trade. And then he said, and this is strange, but he said, I want you to go and read The Merchant of Venice. Anybody ever read that? Yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I had never read it. And so I went out that day. This was on Monday. All this happened on Monday. I go out that day before the sunset. I went to Half Price Books and I bought The Merchant of Venice and I started reading it and I found out it's a Shakespeare play. And it's about a merchant. It's about friendship. It's about a Jewish money lender. 
It's about humanity. And it's also about mercy. I haven't finished it yet, but he has me reading it. Okay? So, I'm not going to belabor this much longer, but to finish this up and to give a testimony, I get this on Monday, get the book on Monday. I start doing some due diligence and looking back into this investment, kind of refreshing myself on it. And um, yesterday, no, Friday, I made this investment recommendation to a client in a retirement account. And it's a lot of money. And um, I, I was suspecting that we were going to invest X amount of money. And I explained how this worked, you know, the downside and the upside, and you could pick. And he, and he said, well, why don't we do, you know, X amount in one and then X amount in another. So basically double what I had recommended. And it's, it's, it's fine. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's not like he's putting too much in it. It, it works. But, um, you know, that is, is going to happen. And hopefully it's going to happen Monday because the Lord loves you, Stacy. loves you, Monica. He loves everybody in here. He knows the desires of our heart. And in my business, there's certain milestones you try to hit, you know, in the course of your career. And I'm very close to hitting this one milestone. But I really started thinking about it. I thought, man, <laughs> there's no way you're going to be able to hit it because it requires, you know, a, a, a gigantic amount of production in about two weeks, right? So I had just resigned myself. That's fine, Lord. I'm just going to keep my head down doing what I do. Well, if this does happen, uh, and I think it will, honestly, um, it allows me to meet that milestone. And it's, it's really cool. But my point in sharing the story and the testimony is I want you to understand we all live in a busy world. And a lot of the time, we find, that our, we find ourselves being reactive versus proactive. We are reacting to things all day. We have all these things coming against us, all the stuff we have to do. I was talking to a client about this on Friday. You know, it's like we wake up and we feel like, I gotta, get, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. And we're just conditioned that way. And he and I, Michael's probably 60, I'm 55 we were having this discussion he said you know i'm learning to like love on my dogs more and to slow down and to not you know not wake up feeling like i got to hit the ground absolutely in a foot race and so i started sharing with him i i, I struggle with that too you know we always feel like we've got to be productive we, we've got to be going hard and you know and doing the deal that's not what the lord says okay if we read in the word it says you know labor not to be rich you know i mean it talks a lot about being quiet before the Lord. It's important for us to be quiet. It's important for us to be still. It's important for us to have these times of commune with the Lord and study and prayer and thoughtfulness because it's in those times that the still, small voice speaks. Okay? And this is an example of that still small voice speaking. I mean, I read a passage, I've read hundreds of passages this week. But the Lord, when I read it, he said, that's for you. And the moment I spoke that out and claimed it, he started the wheel spinning. Right? Let me show you, Les, how this is going to work. So, in Psalm 46.10, it says... Be still and know that I am God. And so what I want you to gather from that story I just shared 
is just that. Be still. Know that he's God. Okay? Elohim. He is the supreme. Okay? He is in control. And there's nothing that we need, or and sometimes even that we want, that he's not willing and ready and able to give. Amen? Let's look at Psalm 144. We're going to read verses 9 to 15. Now this is a Psalm of David, and he says, beginning in verse 9, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. It is he that gives salvation unto kings, who delivered David and his servants from the hurtful sword. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children, whose mouth speaks vanity, and their right hand is a hand of falsehood. I looked up the word strange. And it literally means heathendom. Heathendom, right? The Israelites were amongst the heathens, okay? And oftentimes I feel like we are amongst the heathens, okay? They speak vanity, they speak falsehood, they speak lies. In verse 12, do, and basically he says, do this so that, verse 12, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth that our daughters may be as cornerstones, polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Amen. I'm assuming everybody in here knows what a garner is, right? Back in the agrarian society that they lived, it was a storehouse. It's like, you know, in the, if you drive out in the country, you see these big grain silos, tall silver things. Those are garners, right? So that our garners may be full according to all manner of store. This, to me, is just a beautiful psalm um, of David. And it really, to me, is a, it's a psalm of blessings upon family. And I want to just proclaim over all of us, each and every one, the blessings in this psalm. Because I want to, well, I just I want to proclaim over you Salvation, not specifically for you, because hopefully we're all saved in this place. But if those, if there are those in your families over the holidays that you know that aren't saved, I just speak forth salvation, that you'll be that light to them. I speak forth deliverance. If there's any bondage in your family or any bondage in your life, the Lord is the one who brings forth that deliverance, and I speak that forward over you now. I also want to speak forth that our, all of our sons and our daughters, and if you don't have kids, maybe your sons and daughters in the faith, that they will grow up healthy, that they'll grow up planted, and that they'll be rooted and set 
as a cornerstone and polished and beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. And I also speak forth over everyone in this place and listening to this today that your garners be full of all manner of provision, that there will be multiplication in your trade, in your business, in whatever the Lord has you set your hand to. I proclaim that there will be no breaking in, no breaking in to steal, and that there will be no going out. And going out, I, I, I believe, means you know, we don't want any breaking in to steal. We also don't want any, um, let's call it like unauthorized going out, you know, dwindling away. We, we, we speak against anything, any dwindling away of the resources that the Lord has given you. Okay? And then lastly, I'll speak that there will be no complaining amongst you, your family, and that you will have happiness as the Lord intends. Amen. <coughs> We're going to go look now in Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. I want, so the Lord spoke to me about this passage. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Okay? You know, I, oftentimes when I read this, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God. And I feel like he's talking to all the heathens out there. You know, there's all of you out there, you don't have any faithfulness, you don't have any love, you know, you don't even acknowledge God in, in the land. He's not talking to the heathen. He's talking to his people. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has something against you. And we need to remember, as Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay. We would all hope that our heart is not wicked. Okay. But we you know, we, we live in a world today where the hearts of many have waxed cold. They are wicked. And I think that because of this, we need to even more so, you know, be the, the antithesis of this, be faithful. Be loving. Acknowledge God in all we do. You know, if, if the Lord blesses you, say that out loud. You know, if you're amongst people, praise the Lord for that. You know, bless the Lord. Give acknowledgement unto him. That is so important for us to do, and it's such a small thing. And that really leads us over to um, Matthew chapter 3. And I want to start in verse 2, and we're going to read all the way through 6, but starting in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, I'm going to actually begin in verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That needs to be our message for the day. 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, this is like John the Baptist was repairing the way, preparing the way for the Lord. We need to be preparing the way for the Lord. Okay? Jesus has come and brought salvation to us. Jesus is coming back and taking us home. And those who are not going up with him in the clouds are going to a place that they don't want to go. So, yes, we need to um, speak the same message that John the Baptist was speaking. Repentance and turning from your wicked ways. Continuing in verse 3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. In the same, John had his raiment of camel's hair, a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. He was different. Okay? He did not fit in with the crowd. Okay? The man's wearing a coat made of camel's hair, nasty animals. Okay? They'll spit on you. He has this leather belt around him, and he's basically eating locusts dipped in wild honey. I mean, that, that's different. Okay? So we need, to, we need to understand that, that we're different. We are set apart. Okay? We are called to be different. And, and people are going to see that we are different. But like John the Baptist, we need to bring this message. And what I want to point out is verse 5 and 6. It says, Then went out to him Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region round about the Jordan. So what this is saying is all of that surrounding area are being drawn to this guy wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. Why, why is that? Why were they being brought to this man? Why, why, why? Okay, well, I mean, most people would say, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that dude. He is way different. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to go there. John brought this message with conviction. He was different. He didn't fit in, but his message, when he spoke it forward, you know, we've, we've heard the saying, when I believe, I am believed. He believed. He brought forth a message that everybody was clinging to. They were coming to him from all over the place. And so, what I want us to be mindful of is, do we have that same level of conviction when we talk about our faith or our you know, our belief or what the Lord's doing in our life. Are we that, you know, are we, are we that mighty in our, our words and our deeds that other people are saying, man, I want, Stacy, what's some of what you got, okay? You may be a little different, but I want that. I mean, I, I hear the conviction in your voice. Um, you know, I think about Monica, I think about my wife, and, you know, just she, she, she will talk about her prayer and communion and intercession, and it's, it's like, wow, you know, you listen to that and you think, I want some of that. You know, I, I want that kind of intimate relationship, that kind of confidence and peace that you get that comes from the warfare, you know, from the, the battle and the fighting. But, you know, in our, in our day, we, we always need to look to Jesus as our role model, right, and seek to be like Jesus. 
But we also need to be like John the Baptist. We need to be preparing the way because he is coming back. And boy, I don't know about you, but it does seem like we're getting closer and closer to that that time of his return. Amen? Let's flip back to Psalm 145. And read beginning in verse 8. And we'll read through the end. Actually, I'm sorry, we'll just read through 16. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is gracious, and he's full of compassion. He's slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. All the works shall praise thee. O Lord, and all thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom, and they shall talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. This word dominion there basically means government. So his government endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all that fall, and he raises up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. When I read this, I thought, you know, these are character traits of Yahweh. And, you know, I asked myself, are those my character traits? You know, if I'm seeking to live my life like the Lord, are those my character traits as well? You know, am I always gracious? Am I full of compassion? Am I slow to anger? Do I have great mercy? Do I do, I do good to all? You know, um, do I uphold or lift up those that fall down and raise up those that are bent over and bowed down? You know, we live in a world where, you know, for so many, it's such a rat race in a competitive world. You know, if your competition's down, you want to step on their back and squash them down further. You know, that's, that's kind of the world that we live in. And we need to, to understand that we have got to be full of grace. We've got to be full of compassion. You know, we, we can't be quick to anger. We've got to be very patient and very slow to, to anger or to... Um, you know, getting riled up about things, okay? The Lord is very slow to anger. He's full of mercy. He's good to everyone. So these need to be our character traits as well. These need to be our actions. These need to be evident and prevalent in the way that we speak and the way that we conduct our affairs. Amen? Lastly, we're going to look in Acts chapter 5. And we're going to read through verses 17 through 42. Now, before we begin, um, chapter 5 begins with Ananias and Sapphira. We know that they sold some property. They got money. They lied to the spirit, right? They held some back. um, And what happened? They fell down dead. And that was the end of it. Um, We also see, though, that after this happened, 
we see many signs and wonders were wrought amongst the people. There were believers being added to the church daily. There were healings taking place, deliverances taking place. A lot was going on for the kingdom of God during this time. So beginning in uh, verse 17, let's read. It says, So then the high priests rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. You know, it's the religious leaders of the day, right? And they're being filled with indignation. Why are they being filled with indignation? It's a rat race, okay? They were not happy that the people were, were leaving and going to this new sect, right? This, this, uh, these followers of Jesus. They were very upset about that. They were upset with the healings. They were upset with the deliverances. They were upset that all these people were being added to this new church on a daily basis. And so they laid their hands on the apostle in verse 18, apostles, and they put them into the common prison. In 19 it says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the doors of the prison and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in this temple to all the people, all the words of this life. I've read this so many times. And when I read it, my focus has always been on the angel opening the prison doors in the night, right? The prison doors were locked, they were guarded, and this angel somehow opens the doors and they get out. But when I read this this week, the Lord highlighted verse 20 the angel tells them go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life that's you know i read that and i'm like well that's odd go and speak to the people all the words of this life what is he saying speak to them what life this new life is like as a result of jesus christ the christ who's brought salvation. Speak to the people all the words of this life. Because that was new, right? Remember, they used to have to bring sacrifices and go to the priest and, you know, he would make offerings for them, for their sin. It wasn't that way anymore. Jesus had come. He had torn the veil. He had given the people direct access to the Father. And the angel says, you need to go tell all these people of this life, okay, this new way. In verse 21, well, and also it says, um, if, you, if you look at the, go stand and speak in the temple to the people, all the words, that's rhema, of this life, and that life there is zoe, okay? Speak to them the rhema of this zoe. When they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and they taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with them, and they called a council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and they sent to the prisons to have them brought forth. So I guess at this point they didn't know they had broken out of the prison by the angel. So when the officers came and they found them not in the prison, they returned and they told them, saying, Hey, the prison truly we found shut and safe, and the keepers were standing outside the doors. But when we opened it and we went in to get them, there was no man within. So the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, and they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. They were worried now, okay? These people have been miraculously delivered. This is not a good thing. 
And then came one and told them, saying, Hey, the guys that were shut up in the prison are now standing in the temple and teaching the people. So you can imagine they were just besides themselves, beside themselves with fury. Then the captain went with the officers and they brought them without violence. So they went to the temple. Uh, they, they brought them without violence because they feared the people. And they were afraid that they might be stoned. And in verse 27 it says, And when they had brought them and they set them before the council, the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intended to bring this man's blood upon us, which it was upon them. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, should we obey God or should we obey man? We should obey God. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus who you did kill and hang on a tree. And God has exalted him with his right hand to be a prince and a savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of the sins. We are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom the God has given to them whom God has given to them that obey. So when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and they took counsel to slay him. How, we got to kill these people. Okay, we got to end this now. I love this, this next part, verse 34. So then stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, who was had in reputation amongst all the people, and he commanded to put the apostles forth for a little space. I need to ask Pastor real quick, is this the same Gamaliel that Paul was taught by, do you know? I thought it was. Okay. He was, I mean, Paul was brilliant, but Paul grew up at the feet of this guy, Gamaliel. So he was brilliant. So he says unto them, look, you guys need to really pay attention what you're doing here with these guys. Because before these guys, there was a, a guy, Thaddeus, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. And then he was slain, and all that obeyed him were scattered and they were brought to naught. Nothing came of it. After that, another man, Judas of Galilee, rose up. This is during the days of the taxing. And he drew away many people after him. He also died. And all those that obeyed him were also dispersed. So what I want to tell you is you need to refrain from these men. Okay? You need to leave them alone because if this council is the work of men, it ultimately will come to nothing. But if it is of God, there's no way you're going to overthrow it because you're going to end up fighting against God, and we know that that's a battle you're not going to win. So they agreed and with him, and they called the apostles, and I guess for good measure, they beat them. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> ah, just beat them. They beat them, and they commanded them again not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. And, of course, they departed rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame to be beaten in public because of the name of Jesus. And then what did they do? Daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus. Amen to that. I love this. And I think it's important for us to note that it seems to me that we're going into the days that, I mean, we, we, we know where the story ends. We know that we win, but we know there's a period of 
extreme persecution. And we're, we're there. I mean, there's a lot of Christians out there in the world today that are being persecuted. But it's very likely that either we or we and our children or certainly our children and our grandchildren are going to face the same type of persecution. Okay? And we have got to be of the same spirit. We've got to be steadfast in our resolve, unyielding, unbending. We have to be like Peter, who was quick to declare, look, are we supposed to obey God or are we supposed to obey man? Okay, we're, we're supposed to obey God and that's what we're going to do, regardless of what you do to us. Those days are coming. But we also need to remember that like in this story, God will bring the Gamaliels in our time of need. He will bring the angel to deliver out of bondage in our time of need. Okay, he's the same God today as he was back then, and he will perform his same works in us, through us, around us, and amongst us if we are faithful, like the apostles, to do the work that he has called us to do. Amen? So that ends our visit today. I want to thank you for your rapt attention and for letting me just share a few of the things the Lord had shared with me this week. And I hope that you found some of it, yes, Fran, of value. Uh, I had just gotten another thing from the first king, from Second Kings. All the things that he was talking about, about the snake and all of that, and how he not to stay, not to, to do the same old story all over again. It just made me think about how we have preached the same word in my lifetime from the get-go, how we used it to, to interpret the King James Version, which was all we were raised on, mm -hmm. and how erroneous a lot of that is, and not really in a bad way, but then, it, but then the change came when Pastor got so many revelations, you know, you know 20 years ago, and how we need to go ahead and take that word, and, and like you were talking about in Corinthians, and keep sowing that word forward. I just, I just thought that was so enlightening mm. in, that, in that respect. Mm, thank you. Yeah. There are so many out there that were raised on the King James Bible. Yeah. We all in here love the King James Bible. But I think what she's mainly speaking of is that just the salvation message. I mean, that you only had four passages that they preached on week after week after week. It wasn't just the King James that she finds erroneous. Right. I think it was the way that the preachers were just preaching without revelation. They weren't, you know, it was always just the same message. Right. Is that what you meant? Yeah, and, and, and every church was doing the same thing. Yep. Yeah. That's but what she meant. we have gotten such a revelation through pastor mm. in this last 20 years, things that I never thought about. Yes. And uh, I just think it's so important to preach that message forward, which is what they're sending to do in Corinthians. Amen. And so we, we just got to make our voice louder and longer you know um i think we can debate all day long you know which version's the best and i'm going to say it's kind of like investing money okay everybody says well i want the best fund i want the best stock to put my money in well guess what there's not any best there's lots of good okay there's a lot of bad but there's lots of good but there's not the best it's 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 a value to us to have multiple translations to look at because it, it puts things in context, okay? 
And so, as an example, if you, and if you want, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 9, real quick. And I'm going to read in the King James, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Okay? This is King James, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Okay? The New Revised Standard Version says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's saying the same thing, but it's, it flows differently, right? And so I've read that. We've all read that a number of times. But when I read this New Revised Standard Version, it spoke to me. Because I, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. We know that he provides our seed, right, for us to sow, to sow into. And we know that he provides bread for our sustenance, our daily provision as a result of that seed. But then it so clearly says, I'm going to multiply your seed for sowing. I'm going to multiply your seed for sowing. Instead of having 10 seeds to sow, I'm going to cause you to have 20 seeds to sow. So guess what? You got 20 seeds to sow, you can use the 10 to live on to provide your bread. Those other 10 seeds you can sow into others, into other nations, into other ministries, into other uh, bodies within your network, whatever it is. And that just spoke to me in a different manner. So I, I've come to the conclusion that, you know, the different translations of the Bible are just that. They're just different translations. This is why it's so important to drill down and to do your, your parsing of the word and find out what it really means. Um, but anyway, enough of that. So thank you all. Any other questions or comments? Well, see, that, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of where, you know, when the progression the Lord took us on and and it, it kind of coupled with the advent of being able to study the word on the computer which during all the training I had was never because we didn't have computers we didn't have we didn't have that and it was a real game changer to instead of having to spend hours with books trying to trace out one word which was almost it was it, it was mind-blowing sure. because no matter how much you studied somebody else would find another thing and you think well I looked at these 15 volumes I didn't look at this one so God saw to it when he loosed this um, this walk we're on, to couple that with this game changer of an option for us, to be able to look into the scriptures on, on computer and to be able to dig down immediately into word meanings and to be able to trace how they used, which to me is a great, great miracle because that could have happened at any time, but it only happened in our lifetime. And so, and it kind of freed us because 
so many of the doctrines we had formed and learned and studied were based upon this rigidity of, okay, this English translation, whatever it might be. And it says one thing there, and you could preach on it 15 different ways, and, you know, based upon that really narrow understanding. And um, to now be able to say, okay, this word that the Spirit directed us to is really, really means this, and it's, it's not negotiable. It means this. And so when you, when you look at that, and then, then you start checking out these translations, it, it, it's just saying the same thing in a different way, and you can immediately tell, this translation is saying this, and that is not what this word means. But you've got to know what that word means. And, you know, even sometimes when I say, okay, this, we're going to look at this verse. It's got all these words that we've studied. So let's go back now and just say what this scripture really is saying. We'll give our a pneumatikos translation. I often tremble when I do that because I think, you know, but, but then again, it just opens up into something totally new. And it reminds me of that verse that the angel said that you, you referenced. Go and teach what, you have, what this life is. And, um, you know, I've never not really paid attention to, forgive me. It's just like, you know, you read this. That the high priest who supervised the crucifixion of Jesus was a Sadducee. I never really paid much attention to that, but here it says it. He wrote, the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And those guys didn't believe in anything. They were kind of like, I'll just say it, like the Democrats today, the new version of the Democrats, who say, we don't give a flip about America's history. In fact, most of it's wrong. You think of those knuckleheads out in San Francisco saying that to Abraham Lincoln, black lives didn't matter so we're changing the name of this high school that was Abraham Lincoln. And you know, you think, everything that this country was, everything it was founded on, just wash it all away. But then you got the Pharisees who say, we are gonna trust this word, but we're gonna build this fence around it, this fence around it, and this fence around it. I just think it's interesting that the, the Sadducees say, you stop these guys from teaching, and the angel says, you go back in there and teach about how this is alive. Because the Sadducees didn't believe that anything was alive. It's really a smack in the face to this, not just what the high priest said, but his cardinal doctrine of we don't believe in anything, which makes them sad, you see. You know, and, and it's, just, it's just weird. So then, in the midst of this, you have Gamaliel, who is on the other side of the political camp. He's a Pharisee. And he stands up and says, look, you guys are trying to snuff him out. I don't agree with you in any way, really, but in this case, we don't want them either because they're messing with our power base. And so just leave them alone and it'll fizzle out. And the weird thing is when you were teaching, I thought about this. Paul, who boasted about being 
sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was at that time chasing down people, throwing them in the slammer, supervising the killing of, of disciples and, and, and elders. And he was trained by Gamaliel as a Pharisee, and he's not doing what this story teacher said to do. Leave him alone. He's holding coats and selling stones. It's just weird. But you look at the same thing today. You look at what, I'm going to mention this in the sermon. Paul, when he goes into Athens and the Spirit's burning in his heart, and he's teaching in the marketplace and the Epicureans and the Stoics come and they say, we don't know about this guy. Let's bring him up to Mars Hill and let's have him teach up there. Well, the Epicureans and the Stoics were kind of like Sadducees and Pharisees. The Stoics didn't believe in any religion because everything was the mind. The, the Epicureans were just drunkards and feasters and, you know, and they didn't believe in religion either. They just went at it from different angles. And here's Paul teaching this living God and said, let's bring him up there and let's, let's have him talk. It's always the same thing. So today we have people who are guarding over the Constitution. And they don't really believe, uh, honestly. You know, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican. But most of those guys don't believe it's just power. The Democrats now become a group that says, we want to wipe the slate clean. We don't care if we become a socialist. We don't be care, care if we are in bed with the Chinese. We don't care as long as we have power. It's all the same thing. And the angel says, you go and talk about how you have life. You know, when Jesus would be in the middle of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he'd deliberately say something that would get them fighting each other. And we're in the same boat today. It's always the same right and left. And I don't know what took me off on that. But when, when God started leading us in this pathway that you've so eloquently talked about, and we're kind of like John the Baptist, friend of the bridegroom, and we're out there and people are coming out to hear this strange new thing, whether they want to accept it or not is up to them. But the end result is that we either have life or we don't. And if, if we have these principles that Fran talked about and these wonderful things that the Lord has shown from the scripture, but we don't have the life that birthed that understanding, and if we don't have the life and the vitality that we have taught others about, then we failed too. So it's, it's very interesting that we, that it is a strange verse that you highlighted that go and tell them the words of this life, the rhema of this life. I wish we had that sermon. What did they talk about? You know what? These guys told us not to be in here. They're a bunch of Sadducees. They throw us in the common prison. This angel let us out. Is that what they said? Probably, Probably. Which, which is interesting. So anyway, I'm just... Uh, it's over. <laughs> the Chinese are invading again. It's over. All right, sorry, Les. Yeah, I, no. I took us into overtime here. I just, I just, thought, I just thought it was wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you, I have no idea who's teaching next week. Scott. Uh, Scott Maston is up for next week. Oh, Brother Maston.
I looked at, at, Brother I looked at the is paper up. out there. There we go. And it said Scott. I didn't know whether he swapped it off or. <laughs> no, he didn't swap it off. He's in. <laughs> but you got a week to prepare.